0: Please stand with me in honor of the word of God as I read Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. The word of God for the people of God.
1: Thanks Thanks. be to God. Thank you, Keely. You may be seated. Powerful scripture as we're reading through the Bible Uh, this year together we 're in Jeremiah, so if you want to catch up with us, just begin reading in Jeremiah and through on into lamentations this next week, and you 'll be caught up kind of about where we 're at Jeremiah uh, was living about six, about five hundred to six hundred years before jesus he 's known as the weeping prophet he uh, just cried and wept for the people of Israel and their hardness, the people of Judah, and their uh, resistance to the prophetic word of God that he was delivering. And he saw the tragedy of that. He served during uh, five different kings, uh, starting out with Josiah, uh, Jehoaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and Zedekiah. This last week, we we're reading quite a bit about Zedekiah there, so we're reaching some of the end of Jeremiah. This text today shows uh, the new covenant, and that's what I titled this The New Covenant. And we need the new covenant, we need this. Jeremiah said uh, in Jeremiah 17 that the human heart is sick, uh, it's uh, desperately wicked. Uh, you know, who can change it? Who can, who can save us? Uh, no one except God can cure it. So Jeremiah reveals this word. He reveals some encouraging words. He says destruction is coming, uh, but that they'll be taken into Babylon. King Nebuchadnezzar will win the battle. Uh, he warns Zedekiah of that. Over and over again, though, he's thrown in dungeons, thrown in prisons, thrown down in wells that have mud in them, left there for dead with no food. Uh, over and over again, they bring him back up, and he says, uh, you're, you're going to be defeated. Uh, uh, so just surrender to them and go to them, and you'll live. If you don't, they uh, will kill you by the sword, uh, famine, and pestilence. So they don't like this word, and they're constantly... Uh, uh, rejecting Jeremiah's words. But Jeremiah cannot... We, we read this last week in our in the men's group uh, in Jeremiah where Jeremiah says, if I try to say that I'm not going to say your word, your word becomes like fire in my bones. And I, I must it." So if he says, I don't want to say this anymore, God. I don't want to say this. They're not listening. You know, they've never listened for, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. And now they're coming and it's happening and there's these different sieges. and And, and you know, you just hear his heart... But then God says, you're going to speak my word, and it becomes like fire in his bones, and he has to tell them the truth of God's word, and he warns them over and over again. And he talks about them going into exile. He prophesies that it'll be for 70 years and that God does eventually have a good hope and a future. A lot of us have that scripture on our wall. The Lord's promised you a good hope and a future in him, and and he promises that they will be restored and brought back into their land and they'll grow crops again and have trees and have their land again um, he even has jeremiah go out and buy this piece of property in, in, in the siege and he has them seal it up and put it in because the hope is that and, and the promise is, is that he'll come back and and, and the, his you know ancestors and descendants will have that land god will be bringing them back how many of you would like to do that like, your siege, you're going to lose all your property. Take it into captivity. Buy this property. Why? God says, buy it, Jeremiah. You know, go down and buy it and then take it before him. Put it in a jar in a vessel and seal it up. Bury it. Because, you know, I'm going to be bringing him back. So there's a lot of hope in the restoration that way. In that God will bring them back miraculously. They're 70 years of captivity. But there is also... This, what we have today, this hope that God is doing something more and beyond just bringing him back into this land. That he is going to do something great in the future that surpasses all of that restoration. And the first thing he says in verse 31, Jeremiah 31, 31, if you ever want to look up the new covenant from Jeremiah, that might be easy to remember, 31, 31. Behold, the days are coming. So he doesn't give a real specific time. God does this all the time. He says that they're coming, but he doesn't give you specific times to know things. Even in the New Testament, in Acts, the disciples said, "Is it at this time that you're going to restore all the kingdom to Israel?" And Jesus says, "It's not for you to know the times and the epochs. You know, trust me. Trust and do what I'm telling you to do now." And so it is this way in the prophetic language. Uh, Jeremiah just tells them that the days are coming, declares the Lord, and then he states several I wills. And this is what I want to be preaching on today, proclaiming you today, these I wills of God. There's the I will make a new covenant. That's what we'll look at right now in, in, in verse 31. I will make a new covenant. We're going to look at that. And then I will put my law within them. I will write it. I will, again, write it on their heart. We'll look at that. I will of God. This is what God is doing. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And then in the last verse, I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. Some really good I wills. Right? God is doing that. And that's the focus of Grace Harvest Church is on the gospel, and the gospel is what God has done for his people. It's, it's God's actions toward you as a believer, what God has done. There is a response to that when he does something really great and beautiful and good in your life like this, but that's not the The essence of pleasing God is the good things you can do for him. The essence is trusting in what God has done for you. Amen? That's what we're announcing over and over again. It's the uniqueness of Christianity is is God's grace towards us. And that what we do is we believe we have faith. And we have faith specifically in Christ. And these are the good things uh, that God is announcing in this new covenant from Jeremiah. So, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will, here's the first one, make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. So God is declaring he will make a new covenant. Uh, no specific time is given. He just says the days are coming. And these these specific things are seen in the Bible in Matthew 1, when, when uh, Matthew starts listing the generations. And he lists the uh, generations Uh, specifically with the deportation to Babylon. So what we're talking about today, this deportation uh, of the people of Israel into Babylon is very specific and important. Uh, Matthew says that, you know, there's 14 generations from, this is Matthew 1.17, from Abraham and to the deportation, and then from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ is 14 generations. So there's these divisions of 14 generations and so from this deportation to Babylon, where Jeremiah is living, before this word is fulfilled, we do know the time frame now was 14 generations. <clears throat> so God specifically has this all laid out. But for us, it is this trust in him. No specific time given at the time when this will happen. But Jeremiah de- uh, prophesies the defeat and the annihilation destruction of Jerusalem And that exiles will be taken into captivity, and they'll return 70 years later. But this news that he's announcing right now is completely shocking, that God is going to make a new covenant. And the first thing he says is it will, in verse 32, is it will be not like the old covenant. So it's good to know a little bit about the old covenant and how it will not be like it. And the first thing that uh, God says, it will not be like the old covenant, is he says, it won't be broken. This covenant will not be broken. So he says this, in Jeremiah thirty-one, thirty-two. he says, Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. So this covenant was broke they broke it they broke their end of the bargain though god never broke it god says though i was their husband declares the lord And rifle prayed this in his prayer that kind of idea of god being our husband and we uh, his bride and that's the way god saw this covenant that he made with them uh, the old covenant you can see that there's a lot of intimacy in this covenant And you can also see the heart of God in the fact that Israel did never live up to their end of the covenant. They constantly broke it over and over again. You can hear God's heart breaking. But he says he's making a new covenant, and it's not like the old covenant that they broke. So the old covenant uh, God made... uh, uh, to Abraham, the promises he made to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob, and then he, that covenant uh, progressed into the promise that he made to David, this eternal kingdom that he would set up. In Second Samuel seven one, and in Chronicle seventeen, that uh, from the lineage of David, from David's house, would come forth uh, this king that would rule on David's throne forever. So you see this uh, promise of this covenant relationship with God to His people, and here you have the covenant. Uh, that he's saying was, was with their fathers in the land of Egypt. Remember when God brought them out by his promise. He said that they would be in slavery there in Egypt for so many years, and then he would lead them out by his great hand and by his great power, and he does. It was on display for the whole world. The whole world trembled, not just because God just brought them right out after the first little snakes that nobody saw in the room, you know, but no, through the miraculous events that the whole world Uh, heard about, the greatest empire in the world that existed in that day, Egypt. God miraculously uh, led them out, and they they heard that. And so when Israel came marching out of there, the people and all the nations, that news had spread, and they feared and they trembled, the God of Israel that could deliver them from the great power, the greatest power on earth, Egypt. And so he does, he brings them out with with this covenant. He says he brought them out by their hand. You can see this intimacy, God holding their hand, him bringing his bride out. He's saying, I I am their husband. Uh, Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, they broke it. I brought them out uh, by the hand. You know, you can just see God's intimacy in leading them out. And yet, with this intimacy, with this miraculous power, Uh, in this covenant of promise that God would do this and him delivering and being faithful, God's people were unfaithful. They had the law, they had the commandments, but they had no power uh, to keep it within themselves. And so there was repeated failure. And in Jeremiah, you read, and as we read through Jeremiah, you hear some of this language in Jeremiah 3, 6 through 10. The Lord said to me in the days of King Josiah, Have you seen what she did, that faithless one, Israel, how she went up on every high hill and under every green tree and there played the whore? And I thought, after she has done all this, she will return to me. But she did not return, and her treacherous sister Judah saw it. She saw that for all the adulteries of that faithless one, Israel, I had sent her way with a decree of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah did not fear, but she too went and played the whore. Because she took her whoredom lightly, she polluted the land, committing adulter- adultery with stone and tree. Yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah did not return to me with her whole heart, but in pretense, declares the Lord. So you hear God's, this verse of God leading them out by the hand from Egypt as a husband would his beautiful bride and you hear the brokenness that um, adultery and them going up and building on every high place as altars to Baal every hill you know instead of worshiping the Lord there was high places where you could worship the Baals and the Ashtaroths and God saw that as them going up and committing you know, adultery with these other gods the greatest you know, uh, you know first commandment was to have no other gods before me but what were they doing And Israel went and did that. The northern tribes, and Judah's now doing it. They're not seeing, they're not learning the lessons. Uh, Israel had already been taken into captivity. And you just hear this heartbreak from Jeremiah. His words are poetic and powerful, revealing the broken heart of God, that adultery and divorce and and that painful process uh, has brought to God. But he's saying that this... New covenant is not like the old ones. It will not be broken. Not the covenant like I made with their fathers on that day when I took them by the hand, the covenant that they broke. Not like that one. Uh, It will not be broken. But how is it going to be new? It's going to be new, of course, because it won't be broken like the old one. But he goes into this next verse. This is new about the new covenant. Hear the word of the Lord in verse 33. It gets more and more powerful, it seems, as it builds. Jeremiah, prophesying about the new covenant, says, For this is the covenant that I will, again, he's saying it. Here's another, I will. I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will. This is something God's going to do. Nothing's going to stop this. He's going to prophesy it through the prophets. He's telling what he's going to do through the mouths of the prophets, and it is going to happen. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So the newness of this is that God's law, which never changes, His holy nature, His standards do not change. His law didn't change. not saying I'm changing the law. He's saying I'm changing how I'm going to move with my people. So God's law is the same, but under the old covenant, God wrote the law outside of His people on tablets of stone. He gave the law to Moses up on that mountain, and he wrote his law in tablets of stone. And so what's new about the new covenant is he's not going to write it on tablets of stone, his law, but he's going to write it within them. He's going to write it on their hearts. So this is new. This is big. And so this has come true in what God has done in Jesus and when Paul is sent to the Gentiles and into Corinthians, a, a, a Gentile city, Gentile people, he writes this to them in his letter to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 3.3, 3, he begins by saying this, And I show you that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Paul saying this has happened. What Jeremiah prophesied about the new covenant has happened to you, O Corinthians. This is what happened when God sent us to you and we announced the gospel to you, the good news of the new covenant in Christ's blood. Here's what has happened through you through the power of the cross the power of his death and resurrection. Here's what's happened. He hasn't written on you with just ink or carved in stone, but he's written inside of you. He's written on your heart. He's written on the tablet of your heart. And he goes on to just proclaim this beautiful uh, portion of how God does that. Believers in Christ, Jesus, what he's accomplished, uh, writing uh, the gospel inside of us, what Christ has done. He says this as he continues in 2 Corinthians 3. And these are verses 4 through 11. He says, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. So our sufficiency isn't in us. It's not in our work. It's his, his will toward us. I will write on their hearts. Paul is saying he's made us ministers of this new covenant, not because of us, not because of our sufficiency, not because of Paul's great training under Gamaliel, not because of his great teaching, not because of the great revelations that Paul had, but through Jesus Christ and his salvation, he's made him adequate. And he's made all of them. Paul's saying he's made you adequate. As ministers of this new covenant. And he says, Not by the letter, but by the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And he goes on to say that if this ministry of death, carved on letters of stone, came with such glory that the Israelites did not gaze at Moses' face because of his glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory much more, well, what is permanent have glory. So, something permanent has come, Paul has said. Something with surpassing glory and surpassing permanence has come in Christ Jesus. What has he done with this new covenant? It's like the old covenant was this moon and it shined this light and it was glorious. We've seen the moon, like the full moon, how glorious it is, and the dark night has glory to it, right? It's beautiful that moon stays out and the sun rises, that moon fades, 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 fades to where you're like, this is a, like a blinding light over here coming up. Look at the heat coming off of this thing. And every now and then they'll come up a lot of times at the same time. You'll say, the moon's up too. Look, you can barely see it over there, <laughs> you know, or something. It not matter if it's, you know, full, partial or whatever. There's a greater glory That makes the light, not that the moon isn't insignificant or important or anything, but it makes its light insignificant, doesn't it? I mean, it's not shining light to the earth anymore. It brings its light to an end. It brings its glory of its light shining to an end because there's a much greater light. And the new covenant is like that. It is so much greater. It doesn't mean that the old is bad, but just that the new is surpassing it in glory. So here's what it says here about the old covenant. It said, and it sounds kind of hard, like it does sound bad, because he says very specifically in verse 7 now, if the ministry of death sounds kind of bad, I had a ministry of death. And then in verse 9, he says, in the ministry of condemnation, man, I had a ministry of condemnation and a ministry of death. Well, I don't want any of that. That sounds bad. Is that what the law was that God gave, that previous glory? Because he says it had glory. The glory is shown on Moses. His light, his face glowed. He had to put a veil over his face when he came down. So it had glory. You say amen? Yes, the law had glory. But yet, at the same time, it had a ministry of death and condemnation. Or a ministry of condemnation and death. And so, why? What is that? Why did it have that? It had it not because there was anything wrong with the law, but there was something wrong with our hearts, like Jeremiah said. Our hearts are desperately wicked. Our hearts are desperately wicked. And the law, even though it established what the holy nature of God was, had no power to change our heart. It was written on tablets of stone, and the law was not written on our hearts to be obedient. So we could not obey it. It was broken. The covenant was broken, 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 broken. And he says the new covenant coming, this greater, surpassing glory in Jesus. I'm going to write my laws within them. I'm going to write my law on their heart. I'm going to inscribe it inside of them. And they're going to have the power and the spirit that Paul's talking about, not by the letter, but by the spirit to be willingly obedient to me. He's going to create that new nature in us, that new heart that we got to have from that desperately wicked heart that Jeremiah is talking about. And Jeremiah prophesies this, and it is a great, great uh, glory. And so all other glories come to an end because they're surpassed by the glory of the gospel. And so what their, when their minds were hardened in 2 Corinthians 3, 14 through 16, uh, to this day, it says, their hearts are hardened when they read the old covenant. The same veil reme- remains unlifted. Why? He establishes it here because only through Christ, hear the word of the Lord, only through Christ is that veil taken away. Only through Christ can you see the power and the glory of the new covenant and really understand the whole purpose of the old covenant being made and coming to an end and being surpassed by a greater glory and being made obsolete. Just like the moon's light is made obsolete in comparison to the sun's. So those commandments, those commandments that once were a ministry of condemnation and a ministry of death have been fulfilled because they're only removed in Christ and Christ perfectly obeyed the Father. He perfectly fulfilled the law's demands in our place. Perfectly fulfilled fulfilled the law's demands. So the holy nature of God in His law met perfectly with the holy nature of his eternal son in Jesus, and they were satisfied. God was satisfied in his son, and the only way that that veil can be removed for you is to be satisfied by your faith in Jesus. Not your own works, but what God has done for you. I will do this. You want to submit to what he will do, or do you want to try to make your own way? Because every other religion is trying to make their own way, and it invades Christianity, and it invades religion of, of all kinds. Like You can do it. You can help. You can be better. You can try to be better. You can turn over a new leaf. You can take some steps. You can get there. Come on, yes, they might even say Jesus did it, but you can help do it too. You can have a part. Any addition to Jesus is a subtraction. It's he has done it. God has done it in his son. And there is no other satisfaction than in you humbly bowing and admitting that. He alone is your righteousness. And, and, and Jeremiah said this when he prophesied about uh, the righteous branch coming. He, 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 pro, he prophesied this twice about the righteous branch coming from David. David. From the lineage of David. From this Messiah coming. And you know what he said his name would be? The Lord is our righteousness. That's what he was saying. A righteous branch will come. And this will be his name. The Lord is our righteousness. This is the power of the new covenant. He puts that within you. He writes with the spirit of the living God inside and on your heart to be obedient through faith in Christ. Like his righteousness How he kept the law, he's writing that inside of you. You'll keep the law. You'll keep it. You'll abide by it in Jesus. And it's satisfied in God. And that's why you're justified in him. You're righteous before him. No more guilt. And we're guilt. He has taken it for us. It's just humble, childlike faith and trust in him. Like, yes, Lord, over and over again, you have done it for me. You have done it for me. But our, law, our hearts are still treacherous. They're still bent towards the law. They're still bent towards, well, maybe I can do it. Maybe I can't keep it. No, faith, faith in Christ who kept it for you that is the best way that you will satisfy the law's demands is by faith in him. And this is what will happen in Second Corinthians 3.18. We will have unveiled faces. We will behold the glory of the Lord. We will be transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. Just transformed, making us like Jesus. Stumbling, falling, get, uh, made, transformed, seeing his glory, made like Jesus again. Yes, though we fall, the righteous will rise. Though we fall seven times, the righteous man will r- rise again. The righteous person in Christ, the Lord, our righteousness, we get back to Him, He renews us from one glory to another, conforming us into the image of a Son, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Spirit is in you. This is the power of the new covenant that He, the glory of Christ, is within you, transforming you, empowering you by His very own Spirit living within you. You have a new DNA inside of you. You are a new creature, a new creation in Christ. And that takes faith believing. That's who you are. That's who you are, not all those other voices. Oh, you're still the old man. Oh, you're still, yeah, 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 it's not, you know, you're guilty, yeah, no. You know, it's a constant battle. That's what he's after. He's after that faith. He's after that trust, the enemy is. He's after the light. Don't trust me. You can do it. You can try. You do it. These things will lead you astray, continually focus on the glory of the sun shining, you know, the glory of surpassing glory of not My own efforts in keeping the law, but the new covenant of him writing within our hearts, in our new nature, in Christ, his Holy Spirit, writing, be obedient. Rafa, be obedient, Bob. Be obedient, Kaylee. Be obedient. You're obedient to me. Here's a new, new transformed heart. It's the power of the new covenant. And he concludes, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. See, this won't be broken. The spirit that comes in and he abides within you. He makes his home. He sets up home inside of you. He sets up residence in you. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. It won't be broken. That will not be broken. The covenant that he makes with you in Jesus. He moves inside of you. He claims you as his own. And this new covenant won't be broken. Uh, Jeremiah says, I will be their God, and they shall be my people in the closing verse. And he says, and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor, for each and his brother knowing know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. He's going to deal the death blow to sin. Sin in the sacrificial system was a, a remembrance a yearly remembrance of their sins. But in Christ, he will deal the death blow to sin once and for all. And he'll do that for everybody. See, in the under the old covenant, the spirit wasn't available to, to everybody. You know, Moses, he, he, he had that glory on his face, but nobody else did. He had the glory of the Lord on his face, right? And then later on in Numbers, there's this great story in chapter 11 where Moses is, is weary and he 's worn out, and God says, "Call seventy elders, and i 'll take some of the spirit that 's in you, and I 'll put it on them, and they can help you carry the load so it 's going from Moses to seventy elders, okay so some other people are going to get the spirit empowered by God, elders, leaders of tribes and, uh, of the nation, and so he calls them together, and he takes some of his spirit and he distributes on them, and they prophesy it says uh, that's eleven twenty nine Moses said to him. Well, this is what happens. What happens is some of the people hear these two guys, Eldad and Medad, and, and they're out there prophesying outside where Moses is. They didn't, the two of the 70 didn't make it in, and they're out there prophesying, speaking like the Lord, like them, and they go in like, well, these guys got it, but these guys are out. Moses, tell them to be quiet. They're not in here with you. And here's what Moses says, this is this is prophetical. But Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them all, on them. Moses says, don't be jealous that there's 68 in here with me getting it and there's two out there. I would that all. And that's what Jeremiah is saying. I'll put my spirit within them all. And so the spirits were available to prophets like Jeremiah, Isaiah, the great prophets. The Spirit of God moved on them mightily. He moved within kings like King David and within the kings, and he spoke in and through them. He moved in the priest and the priesthood, but the Spirit was limited. But God always had this plan to put a spirit within all people, to have a kingdom. And this is what Peter sums up by saying in 1 Peter 2.9, this is the revelation Peter's explaining to the chosen people. And here's what Peter says in 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, all of you, a royal priesthood. You have this access, priesthood access to the spirit of God. Each one of you, that day of Moses is fulfilled. That day of Jeremiah and the new covenant is fulfilled. You all are a royal priesthood, the priesthood of all believers, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Isn't that what God said? I will be their God and they will be my people. I will remove their iniquity. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sins no more. I will obliterate it in Jesus and in his cross and in his shed blood and he did. This is the great covenant that he has. This is the great covenant that is revealed in Hebrews, and Hebrews uh, comments on this. In, in Hebrews 8 uh, eight through 12, the writer of Hebrews quotes Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, and he, he gives some good ideas of what God is doing through that new covenant, that it's powerful through the blood of Christ, through the eternal Spirit, Offered in Hebrews nine fourteen that purifies our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Hebrews nine twenty three talks about Jesus Christ being a better sacrifice. In nine twenty six he says that uh, that if Christ would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world, but as it is, he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So the writer of Hebrews commenting on all these things about the new covenant and how powerful it is. And in Hebrews 10, he quotes the scripture from Jeremiah again. And he adds in verse 17, Hebrews 10, 17, "...and I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more." And then he comments on that. And he says, where there is forgiveness of these things, there no longer remains any offering for sin. See, there's nothing else you can add to an offering for your sin. Jesus has once and for all completed it. So there's nothing that you do that adds to your forgiveness that is in the blood of Christ. And in the application in our closing in Hebrews 10, where he's commenting on this verse in Jeremiah, this new covenant, over and over again in 8, 9, and 10... And he quotes that scripture again. I will remember their sins no more. He says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, like it's opened up a whole new, he goes on and say, by the new and living way that he opened up through us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, body of Christ. Open this up. We have a great priest over the house of God, Jesus Christ. Whew. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Did you hear that? He who promised is faithful. It's not my promise to him. It's his promise to me. He said, I will make a new covenant. I will write On their hearts and within them. I will give them a forgiveness that removes their sin forevermore. I will do these things. He promised, who He promised is faithful. What we do is now we consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. We gather together and we assemble together uh, to stir up one another, like, how can we do this? Let's, let's follow this. Let's, let's, let's revel in the glory of Jesus and the glory of the gospel and stir one another up to, to love and good deeds. It says not forsaking the only assembling of ourselves together is the habit of somebody encouraging one another. This is a time of encouragement for one another through worship, through the word, through fellowship, us coming together to encourage one another. And so I pray that we see Jesus, that Jesus Christ is so much better. The new covenant is so much more glorious. It's permanent in Christ, and it's more glorious in the, in the permanent glory of Jesus. He's exalted at the right hand of God the Father in that highest place and with that permanent glory, and that is the good news of the gospel. Amen? In Christ, we, we have that good news. We're going to take communion together. And this is the confidence is in the body his flesh this is what we enter enter through his body and his shed blood into those holy places so have confidence people to, to, to be with God and to come into God's presence he wants you to come into his presence and you have confidence not in yourself start looking at yourself you're like oh, I can't go in there I've done this and that, but if you have confidence in the power of the cleansing blood of Jesus, oh man, you can go in. That will draw you in in the beauty of Christ. And so this is our confidence is in Jesus, His body and His shed blood. In the night that he was betrayed, Jesus was being betrayed by Judas, the one who ate it, the bread at his table went out and betrayed him. And in that very night, he took the bread and he said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat of it. Do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake of his body. Jesus, as you thank the Father for the bread, You thank the Father for giving the bread and the sending of yourself, the Son, into this world for us, a lost people. Covenant breakers. You establish something new. A covenant that would not be broken. A covenant that would be written inside of us. A power cleansing that would cleanse us so thoroughly that your spirit... Holy Spirit could inhabit us and make us the temple of God and dwell within us and write your commands on our very own heart. We thank you for what you did for us, Jesus, in offering your body. We thank you for you being willing to suffer and bear the shame of the cross, shame that was meant for our sin. You bore it for us, and you obliterated it, and you took it away, and you wiped the slate clean. You made our sins, though they were red like scarlet, white as snow. You are our Lord, Sid Canoe, You are the Lord, our righteousness. Thank you. In the same way, he took the cup, the fruit of the vine, and he said, this is the my blood of the new covenant. This is it. That's what we're talking about today, the blood of the new covenant, given for you for the remission of sins, wiping away your iniquities and remembering your sins no more. Jesus knew that's what this would accomplish, and he gave his all. He gave his life and his blood. Let us partake of this and do this in remembrance of Jesus and his great love for us. Let's partake together. Thank you, Lord, for the cleansing power of the blood. That cleanses us, washes our body outside, and cleanses us inside. And writes, commandments fulfilled inside of us perfectly by the blood of Jesus. Continue to transform us from one degree of glory to a glory into your image, the image of your Son. Let us worship together, unite our voices together to lift up and exalt your son Jesus, we ask in his name. Amen.